we came from a different cut. You know, my parents didn't really teach us uh, to pursue college or higher degree right. when it came to schooling. They always taught us to apply common sense. Right. Hey guys, what's good? Welcome to the Cosign Life. If you're watching this video, that means you co-sign us and we co-sign you. So here are a couple of ways to support us at Cosign Magazine. Number one, view the description below, click the link and purchase an issue of Cosign Magazine. It's like this, this one right here, physical. You can purchase this. Number two, you can also support us by purchasing Cosign merch. Hit the link below and it'll take you to all our past merch items and we'd love to have your support and see you wear Cosign Magazine. again to another episode of Cosign Conversations, where we interview entrepreneurs and creators, get their blueprint, share their stories of how they made it in their industries. Today we have a very special guest. We have the founder and the owner of the Hamptons event venue and of Citywide Construction. Am I right? That's correct. Man, how you doing today, Mr. Barry? I'm doing good, good. Man, first and foremost, thank you for allowing us in your space. It's a beautiful venue. I love to see that, you know, um, an entrepreneur like yourself not only created this, but this is something that you built hands-on, right? That's correct. So yes, kind of tell us how you even got into, before we started about this venue, you were in construction first, right? Correct. So how'd you get in the construction industry? Well, I grew up in the business, you know, being around my parents for many years, you know, they had rental properties and whatnot. So I grew up in that, that forum where they pushed us into uh, uh, jumping into uh, the remodeling portion of the rental business. And then as time went by, I found myself wanting to, you know, progress a little bit more. So I jumped more into the residential side okay. in the new construction. I left the, the, the remodeling aspect okay. of it go, but I jumped right into the remodeling, I mean, the new construction. So back in 1998, I built my first home, new construction. I kind of just been rolling ever since. I would say over the last... 25 years close to about 400 homes that I constructed along with about eight uh, commercial uh, buildings and structures as well. So I've been in it, you know, on and off. I love it, you know, right. but uh, it's been some years. Not definitely. Years. So tell us about that first home. What, what city was that in, your first new construction build? The first new construction home was in Dallas. Dallas. Uh, i never forget it. I, I purchased this home, it, it, it actually started out as a remodel. The okay. first one I ever did it, and I purchased this particular home, totally redid it, and the day before I was going to close, the house completely burned down, completely burned down. And at this time, it was my first project, and I did not have insurance. Wow. So I completely lost 100%, i never forget it. So at that point, I just re, you know, restructured the house, okay. brought it back, uh, reconstructed and whatnot, and, and I sold that particular home. Then I went on to work with my dad with some new construction, and then I just kept it flowing. At that time, the name of my company was BGB Homes. Okay. And then over the time, I implemented citywide development okay. as the uh, construction portion, and I took BGB Homes as more of the sales. Okay. So early 2000s, I went into, you know, building and selling and whatnot, but of course the market crashed, and that's a whole other subject. Yeah, I remember that. So tell us about this. How, how, do you, how important do you think the role of your parents pushing like that entrepreneurial journey on you, the homes, 
was to your future? Like, do you think if they really instilled that in you, you'd be in the same industry? Oh yeah, I mean, it, it just came natural. My parents, you know, we came from a different cut. You know, my parents didn't really teach us uh, to pursue college or higher degree right. when it came to schooling. They always taught us to apply common sense. Right. She always would give us these figures. If you apply common sense, no doubt you will supersede any of those who graduate from college. But then she would come with these percentages. She would say, well, only 10% go to college, and then only another 10% of them graduate college, and then only 5% of them end up in a position to where they could, you know, reach higher dreams. Right. But then at the same time, she said, if you get on a job or you apply yourself, with common sense, you'll supersede all of them. So that was kind of the ambitions that she had for us. But she taught us well. It's eight of us. I have eight siblings. Okay. And each and every one of us always been self-employed. So it was just something they instilled right. in us from a young age that, hey, pursue your dreams. For sure. Apply common sense and work two hours longer than your your your, your, your counterpart. I you like know? that, work yeah. two hours longer. Yeah. That's a gem right there because, you know, most people put in, you know, the bare minimum to get where they're going, but not only did she tell you to put in two more hours more, you're going to put in like the standard eight, nine to five plus two hours more. And if somebody's doing 12, two hours more. So it always has you at the next level. Yeah. yeah. I like that. So, now go ahead. Another thing, you know, my mother was weird growing up. My dad, <laughs> he would always ride in the car. Okay. Him and my mom, they would never play music. And we used to ask them, well, why don't you listen to the radio? Right. They would, it was a heck of a team. They would always say, we're thinking. Thinking about what? They would say, we're thinking about the next move. You know, I'm the same way. Man, I'm the same I, I write in complete silence. Dude, I write <laughs> right now today, I'm complete silent. Complete. And people get in the car and they're rolling with me. And they were like, well, man, yeah. you're not listening to anything. Oh, I'm listening. Yeah, exactly. I'm listening to myself. Making the next move. So that's what I'm thinking about all the time, making the next move. I tell my friends that all the time, like, bro, put something on. I'm like, nah, this is my time to think. Like, yeah. a lot of ideas come for me, too, when you're driving. When you see stuff, you might get inspired. and just allows me to think. And, and me, I'm in the car all the time, all day. So mm -hmm. I have a lot of opportunity to think. That's, that's crazy that somebody else is out there like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So that's <laughs> all I do. Yeah, um, just ride. So look, back to the, the first song, right? That's, a, that's your first project. It gets completely burnt down. You have to redo it again. Tell us about that adversity. Like, what kept you going? Because you could have easily been like, man, this this isn't. Man, it was crazy, ride. man. You know, I didn't have a choice but to pull out. So right. I figured I'm going to put that money back in it, get that money back out, and pull out of that hole. It was a tough situation, but, you know, I knew that, you know, I was a fighter. Right. Construction was the business I wanted to be in. So I didn't have a choice but to pull out of it. It, it was a challenge, but, hey, you know, I did it. Got that particular uh, home sold, and then I just went on to form a larger company and okay. went up to 20-some employees, and next thing you know, we're just rolling homes out, starting new construction homes every week. Oh, nice. So give us this. So I don't want to say real estate is a trend right now, but it's become popular. People understand that to, in order to grow um, you know, your revenue, you have to have other opportunities. So what advice would you give to somebody who wants to get into real estate? Because even though you're coming from the construction side, you've done the remodeling, the fix and flips, the rental properties. Where do you suggest people getting in, like the average person? Well, when you say real estate, most of the properties that I construct are mine. So I okay. construct my stuff and sell. So okay. I'm on both sides of it. So yeah. I'm not out constructing for 
others. I'm building for myself. Now, early on in 2000, all those homes I was building, I had a few investors that I was building for. But to get back to your answer, I mean, right now, it it is a trend, but it's good money. Definitely. No doubt it's good money. It's to the point where you may run into someone and say, hey, man, I'm only making 50 grand. Which is something that's very good money. Something they like, eh. But you just have to do your homework. To get in this business, it's all about your buy. You have to purchase your land. There's no need in pursuing anything else until you have that land on the ground. Once you have your piece of property, then you can move forward. Without that property, you can, you know, you can give me a call, you a call, you know, and try and get advice on this. It's nothing we can tell you until you have that that piece of property. Now, once you pursue that, get that locked down, and then you can go on with your construction. Now, most importantly, you're going to have to have credit. Right. (laughs) Or you're going to have to have the funds to fund the project. Or perhaps you can use a hard money lender, whatever the case may be. But you have to be prepared. In order to find those properties, you got to do your homework. You got to dig. You got to find it. Look up vacant lots, ride around with, with the radio off. Right. And just, you know, learn how to look things up on mm-hmm. Dallas CAD, okay. uh, Dallas CAD, vacant lots, you know, send out letters and whatnot. So it, it just it just work, homework, you gotcha. know. So about these, so all the ones that you build, you buy the land first. You're not, yeah. just, you're not leasing land and then building on top. No, no. And one, you, you know, on the, on the residential side, you can't lease. You have to purchase. Okay. So, you know, I bought land, you know, 10, 11 years ago. I still got properties, you know, left over. But... Five years ago, we could buy properties in West Dallas for six hundred to a thousand dollars a lot. Now the lots are going for any, anywhere from fifty to a hundred thousand a lot. So it, it's just about making that first purchase right. and getting getting things rolling. Most importantly, you have to have good trades: your electrician, plumber, HVAC. You know your foundation guys. You want to use the same people. Right. Keep those people going. So whatever you're doing, it's going to go smooth, man. You can count on those people coming back. So it's all about the process, putting the process right. in the right place. So like when you say a, a, a lot went from six hundred to thousand to now fifty to hundred thousand, is it still a t- good time to get in, or is it now too overpriced? No, it's not. No, it's still a good time to get in. You may spend. For instance, if you're looking at a lot in Oak Cliff or one far north Dallas or even Lake Ridge, right. lots in Lake Ridge are anywhere from 60 to 100. Okay. Uh, you can still construct a home for about 90 bucks a foot. Okay. Put a house on that property, you probably spend 250 to 300. Lot costs you 80. You're still going to make get around 640. Okay. It's only going to be on the market within uh, on the market maybe two to three days. House in Oak Cliff, you may spend fifty thousand for a lot. Construction costs gonna run you about one forty, one fifty. That's about an eighteen hundred square foot home. Uh, You're gonna sell it within a day, within hours. You're gonna get about two forty. So the margin on that is about fifty to sixty thousand. It's right about a ninety day process. If you have everything in line and in order, you can build that home in sixty days and close and. And wrap it up within uh, another thirty day, which is a nine month process, and that'll make you fifty. Now, depending on the lots, right. you got certain areas, you got Bishop Arts, you got certain areas in pockets of Oak Cliff to Cedar Crest Golf Course, okay. where you can purchase a piece of property and you may get it for eighty grand, uh, put a structure on it and sell it for four fifty. Mm-hmm. 
And that's where it worked out well for me. I was in Bishop Arts way before. Right. I was in Bishop Arts back in 2011, mm. killing them. Gotcha. And then I moved on to Cedar Crest Golf Course over by Kimball High School and many areas like that. So if right. you get in there and, and get in early, you really can make a difference quick. And this is all about you just doing your research and doing It's all about the research, being so a at, pioneer. So at this point in your career, are you still the one doing the hands-on research? Or you have a team to do all that for? No, you? I do all my hands-on research. Oh, okay. You know, for the most part, it's just like when you wake up and you drive a car. Do you have a team driving your car? No. No. When you get ready to eat lunch, do you have a team feeding you? No. Right. You know what you want. So likewise, when it comes down to knowing what you need to do to make it happen, you have to do it yourself. Now, I'm not saying you can't have a team doing it for you. Right. No doubt. There's nothing wrong with that. And of course, teams they help you out. But for me personally, right. I know what I'm looking for, and I do it myself. So I just find that's relaxing to me. That's what's yeah. up. Yeah. So throughout this whole process, you've done multiple builds. So where do you find yourself enjoying the most? Is it residential? Is it commercial? Is it this new love that you found with your, with your venue? Where's been like the area that you feel most happy at right now in your business? Man, I love residential. I love commercial. I love it all. Love it all. Uh, I love all aspects of it. You know, I love the decor part of it, the designing part of it. Of course, you know I design everything and do the decorations here as well. So, I, I mean, I like it. But when it comes to new construction, I like seeing a home develop into something, a piece of art, right. something you created. Now, the di- downside of it is toward the end, you have to do all this punch-out maintenance work to get it completely wrapped up right. for the sale. But for the most part, it's all it's all good. It's all good. And I want to say I read somewhere, correct me if I'm wrong, that you've had contracts with the city to do uh, construction for them as well, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And tell us about that process because, you know, a lot of times entrepreneurs, we may see something and feel like it's out of reach or really don't understand how we can get these opportunities. Is the opportunities you've gotten, is it relationship built? Is it just from the hard work where they notice? How have you been able to get these contracts and build these relationships? Well, the city will extend a hand. They, they generally will reach out to many of the contractors that are registered there at the city of Dallas. They'll reach out and say, hey, would you like to jump in this program? Or we have this program going. We have the HUD program going. So the, the different avenues in which you can jump into are there at the city. You just okay. got to pursue it. Okay. Uh, they're sitting right there. But for the most part, the relationships with the city of Dallas are all based on the HUD program and different design programs that they have for low-income housing and whatnot. So, yeah, if someone is looking to jump into that, yeah, it'll work out. Uh, it didn't work for me because of the margins. Okay. Uh, but it definitely can work uh, for many. It a little just less didn't, profitable? Yeah, a little bit. And, yeah, and more control. They have more oh, control over you. Okay. So. I'm not going to take nothing away from the process. Gotcha. It's just for me, that wasn't what I was looking for. I was looking for something that I control. Okay. And in my, see, in my construction area, in which I'm taking part in, is I'm doing it for myself. Okay. I will take on a job here and there just to please a client here and there because they request that, right. that I build it out. But for the most part, I'm doing my own stuff. So what you mean for yourself? You mean you're building it, you're getting the land, you're building yourself, you're selling yourself, but it's in, it's, it's, you control all aspects of it. Exactly. Right? And this is like residential. You're building a home, listing it yourself. Right. No middleman. Yeah, and see, on the commercial end as well, I build a you know, little strip center or whatnot or different little structures, get a uh, national tenant in it, lease it out, and then I just flip the whole thing. 
Oh, okay. You know, and some, you know, a lot of, you know, individuals prefer to keep their commercial. But me personally, I just build and flip. Gotcha. Now, for this particular venue, it's a different story. Yeah, so let's get into it. Let's get into the Hampton's event venue where my first time attending was the Black Brilliance Ball. So I definitely want to highlight them because that event, I feel like, opened the doors for a lot more um, entrepreneurs to see the venue. And that's the same thing. reason why I came back, I was like, okay, I'm doing an event with um, a lot of affluent black and brown entrepreneurs, and this venue was perfect, and I want them to see um, see something that you created and they can use for themselves as well. So tell us what your thought process was when you created this. Was this always an idea you had or, or how you stumbled across doing this wedding venue? I'm gonna say event venue, because I feel like you could do a lot. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Well, it started back in uh, 2005, man. Okay. I built this office complex in Dallas off of 67 in Pope. And initially it was, you know, for office, a little small office space, but I had one little, a room that was about 2,000 square feet that I would lease out for small little gatherings and okay. whatnot. But I always wanted to get into it. And after further research, I realized that, man, I got to get certain permits. So then I moved on and I purchased some property over in Dallas right off of 20 and 35. Name of the venue was Valentina's uh, Event Venue. Okay. And I had a lot of issues with the city of Dallas when it came to the fire code. Okay. city would say one thing, the fire department said another. So the compromise, you know, trying to go between the city and, the, you know, we had a fire alarm system, but they wanted a smoke alarm system okay. and not, not. So, you know, just to make things easier, we packed up, sold the building, we pursued this particular land, and then we uh, built this venue here. Okay, so that's why you decided to move to Red Oak? Yes. Okay, so like, McAteen? Yeah. Okay, so tell us about this. How, how big is this venue? This venue is 10,100 uh, square feet. Okay, that's huge. And same process, you built, you purchased this land and built on top? Yeah, so I purchased this land in 2017. Okay. Shortly after uh, we closed down the other venue, okay. I purchased this land and started working with the city of Red Oak. And the reason I came to Red Oak because the city was really looking for a nice not just a venue, but a nice structure sure. to help add to the city and the economics in the city. Okay. They were definitely one that wanted to work with me. And been, man, they've been really easy to work with. Right. And I really wanted to get something still be in the southern sector of okay. Dallas. Okay. You know, you got all these venues popping up in north and exactly. east and whatnot. So I still wanted to cater toward the southern sector. Sure. So that's why Red Oak was one of the, my main choices for the okay. most part. But uh, Red Oak was really nice to work with. Uh, but the land location was one that I really, uh, really wanted to uh, place this event venue off of. And then it just went from there. It okay. was perfect location. Man, and before we start the interview, kind of talked to us about the process, right? So for people, because I'm not sure if you're familiar, familiar with like peer-to-peer event space sharing pro- platform, like a peer space. Yeah. Basically, you list your place on there, you can rent it out. So a lot of people are getting into, you know, venues. But this is something completely different. The advice you gave was like, to do something like this, this grand, you need to have a great relationship with a bank. Right. But you went a different route. You solely funded this completely yourself? That's correct. Yeah. Okay, tell us why you went that route and didn't want to use, you know, OPM, other people's money. Well, I've never been, you know, <laughs> a lot of people like using other people's right. money. But I've never been one to want to use other people's money because you got to pay 5%. Right. In my mind, I could pay myself 5%. That's right. And I knew if I would use 
other money, you know, from banks or whatnot, you know, I knew the cost would have been greater, sure. you know, monthly payments and whatnot. And it was just always the thing for me to just own my product okay. and not have to answer to no one. If I didn't have an event, at least I could come here every day and sit down and have a cup of coffee. Right. It wouldn't hurt nobody. At least I don't have to worry about losing my property. So that was the biggest thing for me. I just put myself in the proper and the right situation okay. to own the venue outright without allowing banks to you know, dictate how I construct my property. You know, that was the biggest thing for me. That makes sense, man. You, you don't have to disclose information if you don't want, but the way the world is now, people like numbers. People like seeing numbers, value, et cetera. Uh, this building, this lot, everything comprised, where would you say this is all valued at? Well, value, somewhere close to about $5 million. $5 million. Construction costs, land costs, and everything, a little over $3 million. And your company did everything, construction, Correct. build. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the, even like the decor, like picking out all the like tiles, the bathrooms. I'll give you all a tour of the bathrooms of the whole venue. But like the, uh, what is it in the men's bathroom? What is it? Black leather. Black leather wallpaper. Black leather wallpaper. Man, you know, I, the details I knew was going to bring the signature to the name. Yeah. You know, when I named the place the Hamptons, it came to mind was the Hamptons in New York. For sure. And I wanted a venue where individuals could come in and see something that was so beautiful that right. they didn't even have to think about bringing decorations in. I wanted the guests to come in and just say, wow. Right. I didn't want them to have to come and spend another ten or $15,000 on decorations and this and that and just having your regular restroom, commercial style restroom. So I wanted the detail. If you look around all the way to the AC vents, the right. door handle, right. all has the H's on them. And that was all about branding. So I just wanted to make sure that, that the place represented the name, which is the Hamptons. You mentioned like the towel, the gold and the ground, and just the little detail stuff. And man, it, it just, it just, I felt it would bring the, the venue to life. It definitely, it definitely does. I noticed it when I first walked in, the big doors, as soon as you enter with the big H's, I'm like, man, they, they got it down to a T. Yeah. They got it down yeah. to a T. It's also one of those venues to where, honestly, when you walk in, it's pretty much you already know you, you need the venue. Now more so you're just thinking of, what well, all can I do to it? Because you yeah. already know this is the fit, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you did an amazing job at that. Um, what, do you, what would you say is, is something else you want to work on? Because I know you earlier you talked about getting your venue that you always wanted and retiring. But do, do entrepreneurs like you really retire? No. <laughs> Man, you know, I thought I was... I thought I was close, you know. Right. I, I, you know, I really wanted to hit the road and just kind of, right. but no, you, you know, you, you you take a couple of weeks off, you right. think you're retired, and yeah. then you find yourself back at it, something. finding something to do. You know, I like to golf. You know, I like to fish. It's a lot of things I like to do. So I like to, and I also like to volunteer. I do a lot of community okay. service and volunteering and whatnot. So that takes a lot of my time. Okay, I try and uh, at, at least put in about eighty hours. Anywhere from 70 to 80 hours a month oh, nice. into volunteering for the community and doing some things in that nature. But it's hard to retire, but mm -hmm. I wanted to put myself and my family in a position right. to where uh, life wouldn't be as hard. Right. Um, it's always going to be challenges with health issues and whatnot, but still, and, and we know money don't just make you happy. Right. But for the most part, I wanted to make sure that 
I could put something in place for my children, my grandchildren, and whatnot. And, and that was the biggest thing for me. So to answer your question, retirement, yes, I want to retire, right. but no, I, who knows if that ever happens. So what do you, what do you instilling in your children and grandchildren? Because, you know, your parents instilled, you know, the, the grind and hustle into you and to have common sense. What are you telling them? Because you're pretty much building something for them that can take over. But what if they want to go a different route? Or what, are they, what if they do want to go this route? Well, you know, the first thing I do is I support them. Okay. Uh, whatever decision they make, I, you know, I support them wholeheartedly. Uh, but I am one to uh, preach applying common sense. For sure. You know, I tell my son and my kids all the time, think things through. Okay. Always try analyze, put an illustration with things and understand. When you're talking to individuals, they don't understand, illustrate it. So and I try and illustrate everything to them so they can comprehend a little bit better. So I try and instill in them just to uh, work hard at it. Right. And I always do an hour more and an hour more right. than your counterparts. I mean, if you know you, if you know Bobby's going to bed at 9, you step to 1030, right. doing a little bit more research. And for the most part, the kids are doing wonderful. Uh, my daughter, she <clears throat> she works here uh, from time to time. Okay. And my other son, he's working with me in the construction portion of our business. Okay. So, but it's been good. So I, I just work with them and, and, and try to inspire them to do whatever they want to do, but just to work hard at it. That's awesome. And when was the Hamptons event venue actually open? In June? Yes, June of 2020, right in the pandemic. Right in the middle of the pandemic. So, I'll tell you. But you know what? The pandemic affected us just a little bit. Um, but for the most part, we got through it. You know, we, we swung on through it. Uh, and it's still tough, right. you know. But uh, for the most part, uh, we enjoy seeing people uh, have a, uh, their special moments, their right. special day here. So it, it's all pleasing. It's all good. So what haven't you done here that you would like to do? I mean, I've seen a lot of weddings. What, what is one event you were just waiting for somebody to do? Well, I like the weddings, you know, yeah. for the most part. Uh, we enjoy the weddings. Uh, as you see, it just seeing, you know, people view the venue like this couple is doing it now. But right. just to see that perfect uh, wow factor wedding, yeah. you know, we have plenty to come. For sure. You know, a lot of the uh, Nigerian weddings. Oh, oh my yeah. goodness. They go all out. They go all <laughs> out, man. Yeah. These Nigerian weddings, they're just going out loud. And you're seeing how they celebrate their culture right. and which is so beautiful to see not only they're having a wedding but they're celebrating their culture right. in the midst of the wedding so that's what's beautiful about it man i know you're busy man so i won't take up too much of time but i have two more questions the first question i have um, that i want you to think upon is when you first started out who was the first person that co-signed you in your business that can't even give you a helping hand support introduction but Gave you a cosign to where it was, it helped your business grow or helped you build a relationship? And then the last question, last piece of advice for minority entrepreneurs who are just struggling to get started. Well, to help cosign my business, I must say, I got a brother named Kevin. Okay. Uh, my parents, you know, was one that really started us, but this particular brother really kind of took my hand and kind of walked me through it early on. And uh, he showed me some things, worked me in the floor and the construction. He kind of took me in all areas, right. you know, in the roofing and in the flooring and, and whatnot. So I, I, I got to give him a lot of praise when it comes to that. Okay. Uh, so he 
taught me a lot. And then at that point, I went on my own because, you know, I took every trade and I wanted to know the trade, just not see the trade being performed. But I wanted to learn the trade and know how to perform the trade. So if I had to inspect someone's work, I already know the work. I know how it should be completed and what needs to be done to make sure we can pass inspection. So that should be cost efficient, too, because some, you know, if you're working, well, you have your own company. But if you are working with a contractor, they may over charge you or say they've done something. But you knowing what it takes, how many hours it takes, you know, the cost of maybe the uh, equipment or supplies and how to do it yourself. You, You know how to know how to balance and say, hey, this. And that's the most important thing, you know, trying to get in the construction business. It's easy. Right. Uh, I know people that literally can't name a rafter or Joyce's, but they have the process in order. Right. You can build a house by just knowing the process, process, having the proper contractor and the process. But you can also lose money. But right. if you know the trades, so you know, for those who are looking to get into business, study, do homework, know what you're doing. When it comes to electrical, go hang out. Don't just pay your electrician. Hang out for the day. Hang out with the guys. See what they're doing. When the framers come to frame the structure, know what they're framing. Ask questions. What is this rafter for? Why are you putting this header here? Why are you bringing the roof up? Why are you doing all these things? What's this joist hanger for? Ask the insulation guys things, the plumbers. And as you get to know what's what, you know what to expect. Because any guy can come and say, I'm done and want to check. Right? But, if you don't ever come back and you don't pay this guy, now you got to get another guy. So you have to know your work. So I would say for those who's trying to just get into business, it's good money. Right. I'm going to tell you, it's good money. It's a lot of work. Right. And you have to develop a good relationship with your contractors. You have to make sure that you develop a close bond so you guys can work hand-in-hand together. It's just like a human body. You know, you can't do much without your leg. The left hand needs the right hand. You know, everything works in conjunction with each other. So, likewise, in this business, you have to work in conjunction with your trades okay. and, and, and your contractors and whatnot. So, yeah, I would say pursue it. Pursue. You know, we have millions of people, individuals moving to Texas every day. Right. I mean, every year. Right, right. And the market is just crazy and you know even in the event business you see all these event centers popping up well of course you got hundreds of thousands of individuals moving to texas and if you think about this real let me say this yeah it wouldn't bother me if someone built a event center across the street because you remember there's only how many weeks in a year 52 52 so I only get 52 Saturdays a year and right. 52 Fridays right. and 52 Saturdays. That's only 166 dates. Okay. So imagine how quickly I can fill up. Right. I only need 166 individuals to walk in this door and book, and I'm booked for the year. So that's why you see all these events in this popping up, mm-hmm. because we don't have enough dates. Mm-hmm. You know, these dates are taken so quick. So you know, that's why people book a year in advance. But yeah, for those who are reaching out to get in the construction business, event space, come on, come come join me. Man, y'all heard it first here. Coastline Conversations, amazing interview. He dropped a lot of gems, motivation, 
information on if you want to get in construction, development, or an uh, event space venue. So what you def what I guys what I definitely want you guys to do is click the link below. Make sure you check out the Hamptons event venue. Make sure you read upon more about Mr. Barry Brewer and continue to live the Coastline life. We appreciate you guys. Hey guys, what's good? Thanks for supporting Coastline Magazine by watching this video. If you really enjoyed this content, please subscribe, like, comment, and share.